in five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome back to Buckle Up, episode three. Baby, episode three. Wow, Michael, we made it to episode we made three. It to three. Um, we did. We're putting our podcaster costumes on. Sitting here. Yeah, I'm. I'm I was. I'm wearing something a little more polished. I'm a little hot uh, in this one, and. I'm trying not to say um as much after editing the last one. We were talking about how uh, hyper self-conscious one becomes when watching yourself back on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone probably already heard about it, but I freaked out a little bit. Everyone in Buckle Up! Universe probably heard about it. I freaked out a little bit yesterday after watching uh, two-plus hours of watching the podcast back, trying to edit down some of those clips. Um, I FaceTime Michael. Lost my mind. Yeah, I FaceTime Michael during the process of chopping things up, and he went. I, uh, I, mean, I, I just, I, I think we, I, you know, and in third episode in, that's a that's a red flag. We want to make sure we don't hit burnout. And um, yeah. I can tell you also from doing all this content stuff I've done over the last eighteen months, it's like a real thing. And how do you find the balance between, you know, I don't know. You speak to it. How were you feeling yesterday? Well, it, w- it was less the workload. I think less the workload and more watching myself speak and just thinking, who the fuck are you to be giving anybody advice? And then Sarah, uh, my wife, listened to it and I asked her what she thought and she was like, it was great. But she's <laughs> like, what? You know, what exactly on your resume do you think, you know, qualifies you to be, you know, telling people, you know, she's like, you're, you know, you're doing well with writing, but. Um, and it's true. I don't have I don't have that like big success yet. That mm. I the people who I listen to their podcasts. I only listen to like extremely successful people because I'm like I don't want to listen to someone where I'm at give me advice. I only I want to hear someone who's done it. So on like hour two of listening to myself tell people what they should be thinking or doing, I was just like, get out of here, get right. out of here. Your issue really was feeling like an imposter, like you didn't have the authority to be saying the things you were saying, yeah. particularly with creative ideas and creative endeavors? Sarah asked the question well, which is what exactly are you an expert in to be giving advice on? And I thought about it, and I think I have an answer. I'm not an expert in writing. I'm not an expert in building a writing career or a filmmaking career. I think both of us are experts in trying things. I think we've both been trying things seriously for the last 10, maybe 15 years. And we can both speak pretty well about what it means to start a project um, that you don't know where it's going and how to deal with the ups and downs about seeing it through. Right. I thought you were going to say the politics stuff and the Trump stuff and the commentary elements of the podcast from last week is what you felt like I am just so full of shit on because we're both equally full of shit on that. Yeah, but I think we we speak as consumers of that content. Right, right. And, and I think we both consume enough of it and have a, a, a viewpoint mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, if, if someone has no idea where we're coming from, they could watch us, right. or listen to us and get a, get a nice idea of maybe what's going on yeah. in that world of, of that corner of media. So... If I'm being honest, I don't feel that insecurity mm-hmm. as much, given what you said in episode one, describing our different backgrounds, because I've come from the music side of things, having done, quote, real stuff in the business, whatever, mm-hmm. in terms of getting stuff to film and television and all those things, sort of right. demystifying that process, even for myself, and seeing how to get from point A to point yeah. B, from A to Z. Yeah. So you, I have a little bit of that that makes me... qualified. Right. I feel, so I don't feel that insecurity there. 
as much as uh, maybe you were describing. Um, but in any event, you can only be who you are in the moment, and all this is is just sharing our current state. Right. So, but I and I I think um, so maybe you, maybe like, you are wrong, but that's the point. Yeah. That's why I, I could tell you when you're wrong. You could tell me when yeah. I'm wrong, or we can have our disagreements. Well, like but, I said with the podcast costume, I think yeah, being where we are at the moment is great as long as as I'm not trying or we're not trying to posture as anything else. And I think when the camera turns on, you sit in front of a microphone, you want to sound like you know what you're uh, talking about, and just being able to say like I'm still trying, I'm still working at it, is makes all the world. Makes a world of difference. True. I just, I don't think you can wait until you've figured everything out to have an opinion. One can't. Sure, but the question is why would anyone want to hear your opinion? Maybe they wouldn't. And, or right. maybe they'd say you're wrong and that's where you learn something. It's right. like the Joe Rogan philosophy. He's talking and talking and sharing ideas and having these people on. He says, hey, wait. and every once in a while he'll stop and say, I'm a fucking idiot. He'll right. say like, I'm an idiot. My What he said to Sanjay Gupta in this last one, I want to talk about that because mm. that was a, fascinating podcast and the reaction to it is fascinating but he said to Sanjay Gupta my advice to people fundamentally is don't take my advice because Sanjay Gupta's up there like you know Joe you have a platform people listen to you and I want to know how you think and all that stuff and but Joe is like stop giving me this power you're giving me this power I get it people listen to me I'm popular and it resonates but I am constantly saying that I don't know right and I am not an authority. I'm just curious. And I think what partially you're representing maybe when you're describing your opinions on things is just that curiosity about how things work. What you've seen informs your yeah. opinion. And it might change with different experiences. And it changed for me. And it, I get it. There is sort of authority that happens with experience as you've seen certain things get successful. So I can actually say this is what happened in my experience. And it does lend some credibility. Fair enough. But it doesn't mean... One is not entitled to have their current opinion mm -hmm. wherever it is at. Right. Well, and you know, along this podcasting journey, it's our job to figure out what me and you can talk as experts on. Mm -hmm. what, what the corner of the world where we can talk authoritatively about. Um, so I think each episode, I'm getting we're getting closer to figuring that out. It's probably not as how to be a super successful creative. It's probably maybe my little corner is like how to how to keep trying, how to right. how to keep at it. Maybe um, it's not about figuring out uh, what we're experts on. It's just being wrong sometimes and being closer to right sometimes. Yeah. That's all. all. It's not days. like we'll get to a point where we're like, now we know what we can say here. I mean, I know certain things I can talk about with a little more authority and mm -hmm. comfort than others. But one stuff speaks more to curiosity. One, sp one speaks more to authority. And uh, yeah. that's it. That's all you can do. Yeah, so I guess I, I went listening back to myself, I, and I encourage everyone to go back and listen to the podcast several times. <laughs> um, but on, on, on the second time, I think yeah. I, I felt like you're not sounding curious enough. You're sounding a little bit too sure of yourself. Yeah. And uh, so, so someone reached out um, from the first podcast, mm. um, a doctor who works in the South in the ER. Oh, yeah. So give um, the context. What were we talking about and how did this happen? So I we, have our, we have our, first, yeah. <laughs> we have our <laughs> first person who reached out to us with some feedback on our podcast, which means people listen, yeah. held yeah. attention. That's good. Hate we, or we also had our first hate comment, which we can read later, too. So oh, let's, yeah. yeah we got, we so got let's it. do we this, too. We're going to look for that guy. Yeah, yeah. So someone reached out to Sarah and said, hey, I didn't realize... Michael is so anti-vax. And I was like, what are you, what are you going on? I'm not anti-vax. So I mentioned, you know, if our daycare forced us, required us to get our one-year-old a vaccine, I, I wouldn't do it. And I said it pretty authoritatively. And then he wrote, he wrote a text um, to Sarah, which I want to read. 
um, explaining exactly how wrong that is. Um, so shall we? Um, shall we read? So it? we're gonna read it. We're gonna read it from a doctor who works in the South, in the ER. Um, yeah, works in the deep South. The deep we're, South. We'll remain deep, nameless. It doesn't get deeper than this. So let's play. Okay. So we does he say his name in the front of this? Um, well, anyway, yeah, we're, we're, maybe we'll say Dr. D. Dr. D. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> sent you a voice note after our first podcast saying, I didn't know you were anti-vax. Here's his yeah. voice note. <laughs> Hold on. Your piece the other day where you discussed COVID vaccines and ivermectin, and I felt compelled to respond and add my two cents on this matter. <laughs> first off. Michael was discussing the concerns he had about vaccinating his young daughter. At this time, obviously, vaccines are not approved for children under a certain age. Exactly. However, exactly. So he agrees with you. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. D. For Thank uh, that you, Dr. Up. Well, D. Let, let, let's read the text, I yeah, think. Yeah, wait, one um, more. As I discussed with Michael, there are a lot of studies that show that Vaccines are dangerous for children. Yeah, it got cut off there, but he That's basically it. goes on to say. Okay, wait, here's um, the transcript. Here's the transcript there. <laughs> here, well, well, before that, he um, he, he just wrote this text, which, which I think gets into it. Um, obviously, it's a major gray area. Nothing is known. It's a giant unknown. What we see is that babies do fine with COVID, right? And it's natural for babies to get sick and build their immune system. So once again, just basically agreeing with us. Um, my, perspect my perspective is that so many studies point to subtle slash permanent harm that COVID does to people regardless of age. It loves going to the brain and ovaries. First time I heard that. COVID loves going to the brain and ovaries. No one, no one ever told me that. There are endless studies showing terrifying data on COVID patients who lived, hu who lived huge rates of psychiatric problems, death from all causes. COVID is known to cause sterility in males. My point is that nobody knows what happens to babies who fight off COVID and then grow up, and it wouldn't be remotely surprising if they show that it caused harm that wasn't obvious at first. I would never want COVID floating around my babies developing. Um, I think I get it. I think I get what he's saying, unless yeah. there's more. I have... Developing fragile brain, um, okay. conflating risk from the vaccine and actual COVID is a mistake, in my opinion. First of all, all of our brains are fragile, okay? And I think it's perfectly <laughs> fine to be vulnerable and have a fragile brain. Secondly, okay, so let, let's get this straight. I have never heard COVID described that yeah, disastrously. So he, yeah, he's interesting. He, he's been the ovaries, us, the brain. He's been telling us from the get, the beginning, and I, I think they mentioned this on. What kind of doctor also. is he? I'm just curious. He's an ER doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, he was telling us from, from the very when it all started that he yeah, thinks it's yeah. more neurological because why else would your smell smell is a neurological thing? Yes, apparently. that's what that's what. Um, so so he was saying like, sure you may survive it, you may be fine, but no one knows long term what this what this thing that I mean I think he would agree it was made in a lab. Mm -hmm. um, is, uh, <laughs> well, is, you threw that in there. <laughs> is uh, is going to do to someone long term? I never heard anything about sterility. I've never heard it about going to the ovaries of the brain. Um, so this was all new information for me. Ultimately, or misinformation. Here's we don't the know. yeah. Here's the problem with the whole thing. Um, this is not like talking about the vaccine in any other way other than everyone has to get vaccinated right away doesn't mean you're anti-vax. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like the conversation is either you're fully on board with every single human being on the planet on the planet getting vaccinated or you're anti-vax. So that binary is false. I say this to someone. I got vaccinated. Whatever. I don't feel like that's some what you know. 
I did because I, to me, it was just a risk cost benefit thing and I weighed all the factors and it was my choice. I think mandating a vaccine is a very bad idea public policy wise, as we're seeing. It's just practically speaking, very bad. Uh, I'm not into that kind of stuff as far as public health policy goes, especially when it comes to children, mainly because, you know, children haven't have been barely affected by this at all. However, it looks like the uh, main issue is long-term consequences. We don't know what the long-term consequences are for either of them, vaccines or COVID. Right. And for people, and when, when talking about their children, who thank God are not affected by it in any severe way at all. We haven't seen hospitalization rates and death rates with kids, I don't think. And so why take on any, any risk at all if the risk of COVID seems minor? According to this doctor, it seems like it's not minor because we don't know what the long-term effects are. But we don't know what the long-term effects for a vaccine are. At the same time, the history of vaccines shows that you don't have the kind of long-term effects with vaccines as you do with viruses right. that linger. I think what he would say is we have a long history of vaccinations in this country. Yeah. And we, we pretty much know if, if there was going to be some awful effects, we, we would have already started seeing them. And to be fair, I'm trying to articulate both arguments. I'm not giving my opinion and stance. And I think that whole ability gets mm -hmm. lost in these conversations. People are trying to work something out. They're not spitting out an opinion. They're yeah. saying, wait a minute. So, so I'm open to the idea that, yes, one of the reasons for me I felt comfortable with getting a vaccine was that I saw some doctor talking about how in the history of vaccinations, mm -hmm. um, you don't see 30 years later some terrible thing happen to people. Right. Um, most of the effects and ill effects of vaccines happen within the first couple of weeks to months of a vaccine. However, then they say this is new technology. It's a new vaccine. Where it, so you can understand why people would be hesitant or weary if they've had COVID right. already. The whole Joe Rogan argument, which, I, which is sensible to me. I totally yeah. get it. And what's problematic is the people who are very pro-vaccine act as if they know all the long-term consequences of a vaccine when with a new vaccine and a new technology, this is not the same... Um, it's not the same plane as when we're arguing about, you know, measles, mumps, rubella, and tried and tested <coughs> vaccines. I saw some microbiologist person speaking about how with polio, they rushed the first vaccine and there was a lot of bad consequences and they had to recall it. So it's not like it's a fully clean slate. Mm -hmm. So it's a different conversation and we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same yeah. time. The part I liked about the Rogan interview with, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta was... <laughs> <laughs> Why did you say well, I was going to say Sanjay Gupta. I'm like, he's a doctor. He should, you know, he went to me. We don't know that. Yeah. We don't know that. We don't know that. We, we don't, don't know we're that. not we're not experts and we don't know. That was a once before I you think, go I think we should be getting into this. What are Sanjay Gupta's qualifications? qualifications? Did he, Do we know? The thing is, that interview was really fascinating in so many ways and the reaction to it was really fascinating too. <laughs> what were you gonna say about um, I wanna dive into this. I yes. think I think this is a corner of the internet we could really own. What? Is Sanjay Gupta a doctor? <laughs> is Sanjay Gupta a doctor? This will be part of this podcast, you're, our you're, investigation into uh, we're Sanjay We're asking Gupta's. questions here. That's yeah. all we're doing. No, but um, the, when, uh, when Rogan was like, uh, he was trying to get into a conversation about attitudes and about the attitudes people have that form their opinions. And they, they sort of always brought it back to like the, Rogan the science. Yeah, and like he's like, because he kept saying, don't you understand that your attitude of, um, I can probably get it and be fine is the same attitude people who don't get the vaccination say I can probably get it and be fine. And he was trying to sort of bring it to more of this ethereal place of like, why, why do you have to condescend that attitude when your own attitude is perfectly 
open to, to, to the same sort of condescension. And, and they sort of kept bringing it back to mm. the studies. Um, but that's the part that I actually find interesting. Um, Which is of, what? Of like how, of the way people's opinions are shaped and the way they think has a lot less to do with studies and calculations of risk and more about just kind of the way they feel. Mm-hmm. The way the people around them sort of shape their, shape their feelings about things. Right. Um, and like, you know, just sort of realizing and recognizing that your attitude about the vac- vaccine probably has less to do with science and mm. more about to do with your friends and family, mm. you know. Your attitudes about it, where that comes from. Is, you know, your decision not about data. it is an attitude. Right. Less than, like, some d- the decision you're making based on hard data. Well, what we said in the first episode was talking about how the vaccine attitude was formed by the tribal affiliations of those on either side of it. I think a lot of it was tied into Trump not getting elected and feeling like that was stolen from him, from his supporters. Uh And therefore the credit that the new administration wants to take for this, there's like a lack of trust. So whatever they're for, the reactionary position is to be against that from the pro-Trump side or whatever. And then there's the sensible middle. Um, And vice versa. I remember like the narrative when, when it was Trump as president talking, we got a beautiful vaccine coming out, folks. People were like, I'm not taking. Yeah. I'm not taking it. That no way. Dangerous. That sounds rushed. Yeah. That sounds dangerous. Do we? What do we know about this vaccine? That was all left wing talking points. Yeah. But the Rogan Sanjay Gupta exchange to me, there was a couple of things I took away from it that was interesting. I first saw clips. Right, it was all over yeah. the internet. Like, oh my god, this happened, and right. it was. It made a real impact. It was like trending. This was like an iconic cultural moment that was happening. I skipped it. it. Because uh-huh. I was like, they're going to have some BS conversation about his like career. And then I saw yeah. breaking points. Yeah, yeah. So I see these clips and I'm like, oh my God, this happened. And and this, the people that you expect to be retweeting it are retweeting it and sharing it. But it's like Joe Rogan is repping one side of this whole thing. And Sanjay Gupta is repping the entire other side, all culminating in sort of two people. One well-respected establishment <laughs> journalism representative that like the baby boomers are all like taking word from him like it's, you know, gospel, but look what happened here. And Joe Rogan representing the sort of counterculture revolution, whatever side. I'm using big words, but you know what I mean. It felt like that kind of big epic a moment that was happening. Yeah. But then when I watched the podcast, because I was like, oh, this definitely got crazy. And I watched the clips. It seems like from when Joe Rogan said, CNN lied. They lied. If you just watched starting from that point, from CNN lied, why would they lie? I don't They shouldn't have done that, Joe. And he's like softballing it. Um when I watched the full thing from the beginning where they sort of warm up to that point, it was actually a lot more civil mm-hmm. and friendly. And I I had a little bit of respect for Sanjay Gupta in that sense that, yeah. okay, he came on and he seems willing to listen to Joe. Yeah. But there's also, a and, and, and I, I gave him respect for that. Like my respect went up. It was like, okay, okay, this is a real conversation. And they're like having a real uh, chat. But there's still a po- an element of it where... Um, I'm finding that when I'm watching it, like Sanjay is listening to Joe with this packaged, I want to know how you think, but he doesn't. He just wants Joe to say, I'll get the vaccine. And he's just waiting points out. Mm -hmm. You can see it very subtly when Joe is seemingly trying to like get to know Sanjay Gupta and like, I have respect for you. Like trust him. I'm not your enemy. And then he's asking like real questions. And I was like, cool, cool. And the second you wanted to go to that place where Sanjay Gupta can let his guard down and be a, where's the human being there from the CNN anchor? He could not fully divorce himself from that guy who's there with an agenda. And he's like, 
but, but, but I want to come back to this. And, and like he would say, and, and Joe Rogan would say something to the effect of like, yeah, man, that's why we all had a great time last night. He's like, that's, that's what I mean. So when you had a great time last night, don't you want to be vaccinated and having right. a great time? I'm like. Right. He couldn't be like, I like pool. I yeah. like playing pool too. Playing pool. So yeah. when you play pool and you get into that space, like, don't you want to be at your best self all the time and you're exercising all the time? A vaccine. And I'm like, Sanjay. Do you, yeah. you you came on this podcast, <laughs> San, Doctor Sanjay? No, but <laughs> but I'm I'm just like he he couldn't quite let go. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt as I'm watching it because he's there and he's having yeah. a and then like people were criticizing him afterwards. Like he wrote an article saying I've never had a three hour conversation with anybody and like Tim Cast, you know who Tim is Tim uh, Pool. Mm-hmm. He's like so Sanjay Gupta was on the podcast and he said I've never had a three hour conversation with anybody, which is a ridiculous thing. Haven't you had a three hour conversation with people? Yeah. What kind of person says I've never had a three hour conversation mm-hmm. with anyone? Um, he's, you know, that's he's married with kids. He never, and I'm just like, <laughs> but the way he described it is if it was like this, I crossed over. I don't think Joe Rogan looks at it as that. I don't, no. I mean, I'm pro Joe Rogan. I'm a fan, yeah. but like, he's trying to have conversations with people. And Sanjay Gupta is like, I'm stepping into this unknown territory. I thought my, I was, I felt scared and all these kinds of things as if I'm talking to like, it's like you're framing it that way, that he's this pedestal, <clears throat> different person, counter-revolutionary figure. Like, yeah. but and he couldn't let go of that sort of stance. And yeah. it wasn't obvious. It was very subtle. He would fold it into, right. okay, okay. But let, let, so, so about what you said about that, like he, he presented as curious, he presented as open, but presented right. that way. Right. The sub, I thought the subtext of the whole thing, I just wanted Joe Rogan to say like, the subtext of it was institutional versus non-institutional. I mm. wanted Joe Rogan to say, why the hell don't you quit CNN start your own podcast and say whatever the fuck you want to say to tens of millions of people mm-hmm. and get paid tens of millions of dollars and just leave all that bullshit behind. That's a great Why question. Why are you so married to these institutions? And he wanted to say to Joe Rogan, "Why don't you come here and be with the people in charge? <laughs> get respect, get all of the affirmation. That's that's, that's what that's what you should have." And they were having this weird and, That's and, what it was. And Jerome was going, "You're brilliant. You're obviously a brilliant businessman. You're building like media person, like mm-hmm. do it on your own." Um, and he was saying to Joe, like, like, give it, give it to us, give it to yeah, us. That and, was the, you're and, right. Yeah. I actually fully agree. That was the unspoken, unanswered, unasked question happening between them mm-hmm. because you have establishment and he couldn't, the allegi- he couldn't let go of his allegiance. He couldn't let go of his allegiances. Right. He kept saying, when, when Joe Rogan called it out, it's like he agreed with Joe Rogan, but didn't therefore, but underreacted to try to say, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Like, what they did right. was a big deal, was very wrong, and he couldn't fully be honest. Right, right, right. And Joe right. Rogan's show was really about trying to like drag the honesty out of people, yeah. sometimes easily, sometimes not. Right. That's the format. Like, yeah. It wasn't a format. Yeah. It's honest conversation. Like sh- and he, he's like, I went into yeah. this new format where people talk. Yeah. No. They shouldn't have done that. It's such a, like, you should say, like. He kept saying, like, I'm sorry you were hurt by it, which is really nasty. It, 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 and it's not overtly nasty. He's like. I didn't know you take it so personally, Joe. Joe's like, I don't care. Your network lied. And Sanjay Gupta is obviously very savvy yes. and smart. He knows, I mean, he knows exactly what's going on. He wouldn't be where he is if he wasn't as savvy as mm-hmm. that. Um, and he's just playing, it, it, it felt to me like he was playing dumb. Yeah. Um, and I wanted the camera to turn off. And, and he, he would go, like, his lips dude, would, the bot. totally know you, man. That was fucked up. Yeah. 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 The body language. He was like, these are my friends, Joe. Like he had those moments of like, I want to, I want, cause he's like, you know, you know, you have some, Joe goes, you know, you got some, you know, you got some clowns over there. You got a few clowns. There's good people. Jake Tapper's good. I like Jake. He's got some clowns. And he says, Brian Stelter, those guys. It it, it was Brian Stelter. (laughs) 
How does that guy, how does that work? He looks, Brian Stelter, is it? You I know, think so. He looks like a shaved Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> Agree or disagree? Agreed. Did you see him with Barry Weiss? We're going on a tangent quickly. Did you see him with Barry Weiss? No. Like when he, it's, it's exactly what happens on CNN where they feign curiosity. They pretend to be open to stage something. You know, like he has Barry Weiss on who's talking about cancel culture. And he goes, Barry, you know, I don't say, so, so you're talking about cancer culture over, you know, and we can talk about this more later, cancer yeah. culture. But the, the, he has these people on and say, but you know, there's more speech everywhere. Why, why do you say cancer culture? And while she talks and gives like a viral response, she was talking about cancel culture on his show and how much of a problem it is. You say it's, 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 uh, it's a real problem. Where do you see that the world has gone mad? How has the world gone mad? Uh, while she responds, he doesn't like open his ears up and listen. He goes, I'm getting what I want out of and you. And he probably has a producer talking yeah. to him all the time. And he's like, that's what that face is. Right. He's like, I'm getting what I want out of you. You're, and, and, and maybe you're producing a viral, but good for CNN, good for ratings. I'm not listening to you. Mm. The, when you go on Joe Rogan, at least I get the sense he's listening to you and the other person should do the same thing. Sanjay did the best he could, but yeah. given that he's really representing, yeah. he, he just was blocked off in some ways. Right. And having said that, it remained civil and he was able to kind of laugh. But when he laughed, it was like a nervous, like, yeah. oh, okay, I want to get back to the vaccine. Yeah. I'm here for a point. I'm here for a point. It's like, you know, CNN, from, maybe it's not from up on high. Maybe he's convinced himself that he believes this so strongly. And yeah. he does believe in the vaccine. But like him coming on saying, I want to know how you think and all of that was not genuine yeah. as much as the way he behaved throughout the interview. Very subtly, just constantly yeah. pivoting to his own point. And he has so much to lose because the second someone says, show me your degree from medical school, I mean, the whole thing is just over for him. <laughs> Mike, Michael's so, convinced Sanjay Gupta is, is a fraud. That's, we just don't know. We just don't know. As I guess time. we don't know anything. I, that would just be a stretch for me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, no, there were still genuine moments in it, even through that. I yeah. think it's impossible not to have that. And watching the whole thing is good. It's useful because you think it was just a slugfest in some ways or yeah. that it was like uncomfortable. And Joe, I thought, did a really good job keeping it yeah. comfortable and lightening up and making him feel feel comfortable. I have to watch it. I just saw the like the thumbnail <laughs> <laughs> and the headline. You did you watch the whole thing, all three hours? I'm three? on like I'm like two and a half hours. That's, in. that's exactly it. where I am too. Because um, I'm interested in some of the. But that is the big question. Why don't you just leave? But you know, he would have been like, he would have. He's too in it. He would have said. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful position. The platform I have through CNN, I'm grateful to be yeah. at CNN. It's, it's a, we do, I love the stories I get to cover, and he would have... It was a great microcosm. <laughs> you know, he just kind of... I have to get it down, because I'm going to do a bit. I'm going to do uh, a spoof on this whole interview, mainly just focusing in on the... Uh, there's moments in it when he's, like, talking to him, like, just kibitzing and shooting the shit, and you could tell, like, Sanjay Gupta's anxious to get to the real stuff, but he's like, he's like, yeah, man, that, but those brownies will fuck you up. He's like... I've never actually, I've never done, I've never done the ones that you eat, Joe, but I, I think w when it comes to the vaccine, which you don't have to eat, maybe they're coming out with pill form. No, no, have you ever done DMT? Uh, when was your first hand job? Uh, yeah, I was a kid from the Midwest. I was 16, but, you know, the vaccines they had then. <laughs> but that's a funny little area where it was like Joe Rogan trying to loosen it up and Sanjay's like nervous, but, but yeah. holding his own because he's a professional. Yeah. It was a cool um, microcosm, I thought, of everything that's going on right now in media. It was yeah. pretty fascinating to watch. I also I skipped it, and, and then I went back and watched it. So if you haven't watched it yet yes. um, or listened, um, I just listen. I don't watch. Um, it just seemed like a, also a threshold, like a breaking point. All these conversations everyone's had and that sort of sensible middle thinking things out part that's been lost on mainstream reporting is being vocalized and right. manifested in, in a real conversation at such a high level of, ex of exposure. Everyone, there's like a catharsis to that. We're just like, yes. Yeah. 
Ask the questions right, right, we right, want right. to ask. Exactly. Why would CNN lie about right. ivermectin? Why with children are we so concerned when it's basically a seasonal flu, if not, and right. they're not getting sick? Right. You can see why you can you can at least see why people it's would be concerned. It's the same questions you're having with your friends. You're talking about with your friends over dinner, mm -hmm. and for some reason, those are completely off. Or made you uh, you're made to seem crazy. But yeah, but but everyone's asking those yeah. questions at least to themselves. Um, and so to be it was nice to see, he at least did indulge certain questions and agree where he didn't. That is a concern. I I understand, Joe. That is a concern. Um, when he brought up those concerns about kids and stuff. So he wasn't fully, like, just dismissive. I wouldn't say it was dismissive. It was much more subtle than that. Yeah. Um, so get the vaccine. He's no. He's <laughs> Did you see savvy. that one? So why don't you get the vaccine? <laughs> no. <laughs> because I got thicker antibodies than you, bitch. No, I don't know if they're... I just, it, I just want to watch someone injected into Jorgen's head. <laughs> I would love to see that. Because it's so, like, it's glossy. So, yeah, it's so there. It's a beautiful head. You know that Owen something, one of these comedians described, said Joe Rogan looks like a human thumb. <laughs> Which isn't bad. It's true. It's not bad. It's very strong. It's, like, very sturdy. And he's always like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's Although he said he useful. almost got the vaccine. But anyway, I, I'm pretty pro-vaccine. When I hear about, I do get a little, when I hear about people who are, like, yeah. at the risk age. Right. Where they got about 40 years left anyway. And they're not getting it because I'm like, if you got COVID, I'd be so worried about you. You're in that category. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you get it? Just so people don't think we're all like skeptical of the vaccine. I'm not at all. I'm more like probably lean more the other way where yeah. it's like the points pro vaccine, I think, are stronger for as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, and I, so I lean towards get it if you're sort of at that age. I kind of wanted to get back to normal life, too. And I assumed at the time getting it would make that happen. Mm -hmm. It didn't. Yeah. But hopefully I don't want this virus, Joe. I'm sorry, I'm stuck in Sanjay Gupta. My face is just like floating. And yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. D, for uh, sending that in. Yeah, that scared me. Those are some interesting it. things. And I get that yeah. argument that that's an interesting argument if you reduce it down to long-term effects. Mm -hmm. We know that viruses last a long time and can have effects, I guess, historically is his, is his point. Vaccines have shown not to have such long-term effects historically, even though it's a new technology. I guess that scares people, but that also comes from ignorance. I don't know what that means, new technology. Vaccines don't show to have long-term effects, yeah. so might as well, he's saying, I want my kids protected because I don't want any of this in them because it's unknown. Yeah, I don't. I never heard, it's an interesting terminology, I don't want the virus in them. Mm -hmm. I like, that's like, that's right. scary. I like that. Right. Yeah. Steril uh, Spooky. What was it? What? Sterile, it affects. Sterility, Sterility. Yeah, in men. Yeah. Not good. But I, I got, I, I had COVID after I had the vaccine, so I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel like. Yeah, you got both. You had the vaccine and COVID. Yeah. Ah, good for yeah. you. Yep. Yep. Oh, I got nice. Johnson and Johnson here, Moderna here, Pfizer in my belly button. I was joking around <laughs> with friends. There's definitely, there's definitely at least one person who's lost their mind in New York City who every day went to go get a vaccine. Right? <laughs> there's, there's probably one person. How do you think of these things? Who just went every day to get one? Yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah. just he OD'd on vaccines. Yeah, he just uh, he went to different places because they don't like they don't really like d double check that you haven't gotten it before. So now what's his vibe? <laughs> we gotta find him. I don't know if you're out there. You if you asked his pod. name, this is a Jeff Ross joke. I gotta credit it. He's like, "What's your name?" He goes, "My name is Johnson and Johnson and Johnson and Johnson and Johnson and Johnson." <laughs> I saw Jeff Ross do a set, one of the first comedy sets after everyone finally got he's, vaccinated. He saw it live, live at Haha ha Cafe in L.A., and he was like. Yeah, I got all the vaccines. I got Moderna and Pfizer and the Johnson and Johnson and Johnson and Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> Just being everyone so obsessed with vaccines. It was a good joke. But um, nice. that would be... Uh, nice. That would be... 
enough about vaccines. But thank you, Dr. D, for the advice. I appreciate you reaching out. I'm glad the podcast made some sort of impact that she felt compelled to respond and get the information out there. That's what we do here. That's what we do. We We spread information. We spread misinformation. (laughs) We spread our own information. An hour of ignorance. Um, There's something I want to talk about. I I, I teased it last time a little bit. It's it's a very... uh, it's a very nascent thought, um, but I saw this TikTok. It's, I, I'm calling it the cult of content. Mm. I saw this. Is there anything you want to talk about before I get into it? Is there? What's that? With, re- with regard to content? With, yeah, well, no, with anything, like any topics that you had in mind. Go for right. it. So um, this guy, he, I think he had a little check mark next to his name on TikTok. Verified. Or, verified on TikTok. And he was saying, he was just looking into the camera saying, people, if you're out there, no matter what you do, you're a contractor, you're a plumber, you're a marketing person, you're an investment maker, make content. Make content, put it out there because there are people who are willing to pay you for it and you get enough followers, you can make real money. Just make content, make content, make content. And I looked at his thing, he had like a few hundred thousand followers, he's like a real guy. Mm. Um, and I, I was just, um, it scared me when I saw it. And it reminded me, I, the first thought I had was like, this reminds me of Facebook in 2006, which was like, social media is the future. Get on it. You have to be on it. Make friends. Do the thing because social media is the future. Just get on there and make sure your brand's on it. Just this very non-critical dive into content creation. And I just have this feeling that we're going to look back on this in 10 years and being like, wow, we thought making content was such a good idea. And look at us now. The way Facebook is now? I don't know what it's going to be, but yeah, they're like, they're like, whoa, we made all this content for all these platforms and we're totally fucked. Like something like that. Like we, we, it was the wild, wild west of content creation. Everyone was doing it. People went overnight to 100,000 followers. It was crazy. And I, I feel like there's some, and then with this podcast and, you know, making the reels now and, and, and the IGTV and all that, really my first dive into it. It scared you? Th- th- there, there is, there is a, a part of your brain that it hits, a very specific part. If you're doing it, then, and, who, and I don't know where, where that's all going to lead. I don't know if that's healthy or unhealthy when you say, or what it is. Okay, so when you say we're fucked, what does that mean? And I don't now, know. I don't know yet. I don't, the, the same way we didn't know what was going to fuck us with Facebook. Right. I don't know yet. You're saying that... The lack of consciousness in doing it and yeah. the sheepishness in which we're all just like, okay, that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Get followers. Yeah. Get sponsors. Get likes. Go do it is like, what's that doing to us? You're speaking to like what Bo Burnham always talks about because he struggles yeah. a lot with his celebrity. And I haven't watched Inside yet, and I know I have to. And I want to watch a bunch of his specials because being a musician and comedian, he, there's a lot that speaks to me there in terms of just as a kindred spirit. I feel like I can learn a lot from him. But he talks about more about how's it, how it pertains to children and how they're living in their own like avatars of themselves. They're losing their sense of self in the world because their sense of self is identified with the avatar social mm-hmm. media version right. of themselves, which is so bizarre. And we're thinking like, is it out there? Like they, they don't they don't know how to conceptualize this world, and neither do we. But especially for them, <coughs> like, oh, can you post it to the thing? I want them to right. see it. Who the hell is them? Right. We're diving into this dystopia is what you're describing. Yeah, and so, you know, in 2004, social media was the pirate ship. It was Facebook is is the anti-Microsoft. Mm. They're going to upend everything and disturb everything. Now, and and, and it, it was taken as like gospel of like, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're good. And a net good. At least they're better than the other guys. Right. Now, sort of the, I think the equivalent would be the creator economy, the Patreons, mm. the Substacks, the, you know, the podcasts, TikTok, all that, where again, it's sort of taken as gospel, like creator 
economy is good. It's giving power to the creators. People are making money. Of mm-hmm. course it's good. At least it's better than Facebook. And and I and I feel that way. I genuinely feel that way. I love Patreon. I love mm-hmm. what they're doing. I love Substack. I love what they're doing. I just wonder in 15 years if we're going to look back on it and go, eh, we shouldn't have given them so much. Right. Well, here's my response because I saw a TikTok that hit me because it said, stop making content. Stop making content. Mm-hmm. Make art. Stop calling it content. Calling it content is what inevitably devalues it. It's just content. If you look at it from the perspective of being an artist and a creator of things, Mm -hmm. it's a double-edged sword, but all of the stuff you're describing Mm -hmm. in these sort of dystopian, drastic, (laughs) fear-mongering terms... Monger fear. (laughs) Fear, you know, understandable. I can understand that. But all they are are new ways to broadcast art, Right? Whereas before, if you made a picture, you had galleries, you had every generation has their means by which you can get the art to the consumer of the art, the creator to the audience, the musician to the fan, the performer to the uh, the audience member. There's a relationship that always exists there um, in in the arts and in everything, but in the arts, there's... there's there's that relationship that's always existing from time and memoriam. If it's the if it's you know, high, you know in classical music days when all when only the elite could afford to bring in a full live chamber orchestra and play for their families, <coughs> that became to the masses. And I'm sure at the time there were people saying, "Is this a good idea? Assembling all these people into a hall, <laughs> listening to the orchestras that was meant for our family? <laughs> this is preposterous. Soon you don't know who's going to be writing music. How will we control who makes the symphonies?" Yeah. Beethoven, <laughs> right? It was, it was for the elites. And then it gets democratized. And then that democratization gets another democratization. Then you can record it so that people on this side of the world can listen to the symphony recorded on this side of the world. And I think this is really just the natural evolution of that. And the way to combat it is by focusing on the art, not the followers. Because the followers, you have to focus on building your audience, but for what purpose? Not for, yeah. not for the sake of itself. So that you can have people that you can build and make things that actually, I think, are a net positive. Whether it's a good podcast or a good song, now the barriers to entry for all of those endeavors are melting away. And those institutions, those powerful institutions you describe, are freaking out. And it's a good net positive that we as creators on the art side of things have these means and tools and mechanisms, as long as they're used as tools, to reach people. And I know that's a Facebooky yeah, talking point. We want people to connect with other people, but I, yeah, well, you well, see my right, point. Right. So I, I think I think you're right, but I think there are trade offs that aren't necessarily uh, we're aware of or we're speaking about. But in two, I could have also told you in 2004, we're just connecting people with Facebook. We're just that's, we're helping people communicate. That's all it is, and mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it is good ultimately. And and with page, and with creator economy, we're helping people creators c- connect directly with their fans. That's good. We're giving people a platform to make art. Mm. That's good. But but when you make something on TikTok, you're not just making art because you're also on it for the next 45 minutes scrolling through. Like there are trade-offs that are bigger than just making art. Um, there's always trade-offs. That's true. Yeah. How, I and think the question isn't how dangerous are these platforms. It's we kind of know the good. Mm-hmm. But what's, it's, what's the, yeah, what's it's the like the bed? scene and the you unseen. Don't know it yet. It's like the scene benefits of this stuff is incredible. It's very yeah. easy to see that somebody makes a, 
a career and is prosperous and actually like makes lives better right. on these platforms. It's hard to, harder to see, I guess, how it makes things worse. Yeah, that that yeah. kind of reveals itself later. Right. That's a hard struggle, but it's right. the struggle with any sort of evolutionary right. process. The the cost and the the, the, the double edged sword, not cost benefit, because that implies that like if the that there's too much. Yeah. That implies that it's stacked in a certain way. That it's it's yeah. the, the benefits outweigh the cost. It's more that it's just double edged. That with every new technology, there's new danger. So the institutional. We need to be very careful. Like Brett Sanjay <laughs> would probably say, they would probably make the argument, and I don't know if this is in good faith, but they would say the trade-off maybe is misinformation. If if you give anybody a way to connect with fans, you can get some really dangerous people out there putting things out that are not vetted by. Mm -hmm. real journalists or, or institutions or whatever it is. Right. I don't agree with that, but maybe, maybe that's one one trade-off. Um, where the people who are doing it now are making incredible things, what if someone's not and, and then you really can't shut them down? Yeah, but I, I, I'm, I, I tend to be such a... The libertarian in me, capitalist in me, yeah. tends to say that the market, not just for goods and services, but for art as well and ideas and human minds is always better to have more of it, more choices, more options, and more freedom. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're consolidating power into, what, three networks, and they control what the information is. Not, how do you, it's like, we only can call it misinformation because there's now a big, massive debate over what's true and what's not true and all that, and that can be, that can be overwhelming. But before, you had three major networks, they decided, just like there were three, it, they decided what was true. Whatever the big labels are, decide what's gonna get greenlit for the masses to hear, and now those barriers come down. And there's a lot of great music that would never hit people. There's also a lot of shitty music. Yeah. Anyway, go to SoundCloud. You'll find the worst of the worst. It's super saturated. It's hard to stand out. But now you have an opportunity if you're willing to put in the work and the time and the effort to reach people on your by your own efforts. Yeah. And that's that's way worth it to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think uh, I, I this famous VC. I forgot his name. Said, I won that one. <laughs> I think he said the smartest person in the world is is like two people. Um, you know, two people are always smarter than one person. Like the more oh. the more people you get talking to each other, the the more solutions are going to come. Correct. Which is why yeah. 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 It's a very it's a very libertarian argument. It's that if you th it, you know, the problem with top-down government stuff and policies, mm -hmm. one size fits all policies, why can't we just pass a law that would fix it? Why can't we just elect the right people? It's cuz uh, there's a guy, an economist, who I've read so many of his books, Thomas Sowell, talks about the aggregate knowledge of average intelligent people mm. is way bigger than the singular knowledge of a genius. Right. A genius can know a lot about certain things and more than the average person, way more, but he can never know as much as the aggregate knowledge of everybody exchanging ideas, exchanging goods and services and doing all those things. The aggregate knowledge of how to do things, democratize and spread about in a society produces much better results. Right, right, right. Um, so, so that's social media. We covered that. Yeah. Those are our big text. ideas. Anything else? What, what else did we want to discuss? Um, cancel culture, Michael. <laughs> I think that was it. Anything, is it real? Uh, well, cancel like, culture. This is a real, this is a real question. Really? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exhausted. No, I mean, I don't know. I don't, honestly, I don't know what people mean when they say cancel culture isn't real. I don't know what that means. When people say it's not real. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, what do you think cancel culture is? You certainly see that it's real, and so you're saying you you see that it's yeah, real what's because what is cancel culture? It's it's that it's that you can sort of remove someone from their Ma job and take away all their social capital, right. sort of with one expose. Yeah, that for one infraction, whether it is an infraction or not, there is a motivation and an effort by certain loud activist groups to deplatform and 
reputation destroy a person for a tweet that maybe in a context at the time wasn't offensive but is now deemed offensive? It's this puritanical standard by which we're holding public people. And in the name of social justice or to try to be progressive, we are patting ourselves on the back. These people are patting themselves on the back by deplatforming and destroying and making disappear and vanishing these people who they deem is on the wrong side of an issue because of a sex a, a, right. a, a tweet they they deem sexist or racist or that. So the, the solution is not dialogue. It's not these other. It's right. cancel. So so we've Walk seen it plank. happen. We know it happened with like. I don't know, Louis C.K., yeah. Weinstein, all these people. Right. What does it mean when someone says it's not real? Because we see it happen. Yeah, so I saw like a clip of Jon Stewart and other people talking about it. It's, what are you talking about, people? It's funny, like, there's... What isn't real about it? That the hysteria about cancel culture, that like it happens to some people, but it's really a non-issue. There's so much more speech happening. There's that, so much that's more. That's what they're saying. It's but not, I always... It's I real, re but it's not important enough to talk about. Uh, that, it, that, that there are instances of that. That the hysteria is manufactured about cancel the culture. Not that it never... that it'll happen to them is manufactured? Yeah, not... that, that There are people, Jordan Peterson and Barry Weiss and intellectuals who are talking about how dangerous this cancel culture that's permeating our big institutions in academia and media and Hollywood is how dangerous so it like is. The, cult, the culture of It's a matter of degree. We will remove people who we don't want to have a dialogue Correct. with. Correct. From the public sphere, from everything, from all positions of, of opportunity, right. of well, prominence, where they're gone. They don't get to right. speak. Until nothing. someone's saying the, that the fear about that attitude is yeah, that, off. There are people who are assessing it as a very dangerous thing existing mm -hmm. in society. People like Jordan Peterson, people in the intellectual dark web, and Barry Weiss are talking about how dangerous this is. Um, and there are people who are saying it's not that dangerous. It's not that big a deal. You're making too big a deal of it. And I thought, I was wondering if what you felt about right, that. I would imagine the people that say that are on the orthodox side of it. The one who were... Who have been canceled. Who are... No, no, no. The ones who say it's not real are the ones who have the orthodox opinions. Right, traditional the, opinions. The, the, the mainstream opinions and the ones who yeah. think it's real are the yeah, ones Yeah, in who a don't. sense, when you have Brian Steltzer, what Steltzer? Seltzer? Seltzer. Brian Seltzer. Brian Seltzer. <laughs> Fizzy bubbly. <laughs> looks like a shaved <laughs> Mr. Potato me. Head. So tell me, Barry, why has the world gone mad? <laughs> <laughs> and he says this the whole time. <laughs> How does a guy like that make it in news media? It's just crazy. I'm being mean, but. Just very bizarre. Yeah. How I, I only recently heard about him. Has he been He's around been for a long on, time? Yeah. He, reliable sources. This is Brian Seltzer talking reliable sources. Mm. He has Barry Weiss on. He's like, why is the world kind of mad? And he's snarking. He's like, you're being like, you know. But she gave an amazing response. And she explained how it doesn't take an edict from up on high from the government to cancel you for there to be a real problem in society and that people get sympathetic towards limiting speech. That speech, when you, these ideas, they start from the bottom up and then they lead to disastrous government institutions those come last but it beginning it starts in the culture mm -hmm. being sympathetic towards authoritarian uh impulses that on campuses that are supposed to be exchanges of ideas and enriching marketplaces <coughs> marketplaces of ideas where people should be exposed to new ideas when that becomes dogmatic and singular minded you produce people in the activist class that make a lot of noise and cause a fearful you know, uh, i would say a fearful attitude amongst the culture and amongst society at large of people who are afraid to speak their mind, then people keep opinions to themselves. Even bad actors and people who deserve to be criticized for bad ideas don't speak out, things fester, mm -hmm. and we're, then we get these explosions of civil unrest down the road mm -hmm. and authoritarian solutions to those. And pure, this whole puritanical authoritarian leftist uh, 
you know thing that's been going on and festering in academia and all these th- that that's what these people are speaking out against and what the mainstream media is downplaying and then they say one day 30 years from now how did it get to this i don't know it's like maybe it's because you downplayed the dangers and right. the red flags that were happening and the attitudes towards liberal principles that the country's found in like free speech free assembly freedom of religion and just the free ability to speak your mind even if you're wrong like that's very sacred and worth protecting and speaking out against it is cannot be overstated yeah. and they take it for granted i think i think right. what you're seeing on the mainstream media side of thing and even the orthodoxy celebrity establishment side is it's everywhere there's more speech everywhere they're just taking for granted this idea by yeah. downplaying it no, i agree with that the john stewart thing's interesting because he went on colbert and, and sort of popularized the lab leak theory yeah. He and, might not there, be the guy there speaking. No blood, there's no blowback from him, so maybe it makes yeah. sense. He, where he maybe you're like right. No... He might not be the guy who's speaking out saying it's not a real thing, but I heard him say it once, and it made me think, like, it's so easy to play hide the ball with what happened. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. Say it. <laughs> What's John Stewart's name? John Leibovitz? <laughs> I was just thinking when you said John Stewart to go. He's not even listening John to me. John Leibovitz. <laughs> it's but such a nasty when thing When you watch do, these I'm... things, like, what? Well, there's more speech now than ever. The point <laughs> is they're playing John Leibovitz. Who did that on, like, uh, was it Tucker Carlson who was like, you it's changed a... your name from John Leibovitz? It was, was uh, Bill Colbert. O'Reilly. It was Bill yeah, O'Reilly. Was in their interview. You're not John Stewart. You're... And he was what trying to be. a gross thing to do. <laughs> I was just thinking. You know, whenever you have, that. like, guys who are, like, and culture types who are like yeah. funny to their audience, but not comedians who are actually funny. Like yeah. people who their audience would love their speeches. Yeah. Like Bill O'Reilly did these tours back in the day and everyone loved it and thought he was hilarious, but he's not funny. When you go up yeah. against the comic, they try to like go head to head and they get yeah, cringe. Yeah, yeah. You're John Lebovitz. <laughs> he was trying to like be kibitzy, but I'm yeah. like, you're just. What? So you're saying John. But he had said John something was about. Saying. He was just saying that it's overblown and not a big deal. Or a lot of these mainstream media types will say like, there's more speech now than ever. I'm like, yeah, there's speech now speaking out against this issue. You're not actually debunking the claim that there's an issue. There is speech to to draw attention to and alert everyone to the fact that we have a lot of illiberal institutions and illiberal attitudes coming from the far left that are shutting down debate, shutting down speech, that are putting everyone into their groups and segregating people and you know, actually having more of a racist tinge to it than than ideas that traditionally used to be on the right it's weird like you know ascribing people to their group identities as the paramount thing it's the jordan peterson thing and now i'm gonna go into it <laughs> do it <laughs> assuming that one's group identity is paramount i'm mean, that's <laughs> man can you laugh like him ha 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 ha. I didn't, <laughs> ha ha well you know yeah good luck with that i so, think it's your best one jordan peterson better than gary v Better than Gary. I yeah, Gary so. V is a little more caricature. Right? Like, ultimately, fuck. But, I mean, I do funny stuff with Gary, yeah. but, yeah, Jordan might be very close to the real I think guy. it's real close. I think it's ha! real, real close. Well, you know, it's a lot of... Yeah, yeah, it's close. <laughs> <laughs> Physical manifestations. So, yeah. we'll see. Maybe we'll meet one day, and uh, maybe I'll go on tour, and I don't know. What do you think it takes to get him to... to be a guest on your podcast. To be a guest? Yeah, to come we'll on. see. He, he goes on podcasts. Yeah. Right? yeah. I'd be like, Daddy Peterson, welcome. <laughs> I've been waiting. What if I stayed in character the whole time? <laughs> you you got to stop that. You know, I'm here. <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. I don't know what it would take. That would be fun. Um, it would also be, I think, I, <laughs> I did see that the Daily Wire put this big event. I got to talk. check it every day? No, it? no, no. It comes up on a feed. Um, your Daily Wire feed? <laughs> Not <laughs> Whatever it was, I don't know where I saw it. You go to but, Daily Wire, you get all these Daily Wire articles. It's so strange. It's so funny what's happening. The counterculture on the right is kind of a very funny thing. 
you know, because yeah, I don't, I don't really. Follow it, you would it. enjoy watching yeah. some of it. They had this big event. I think it was in Nashville or Florida or something like a big live event with all the superstars of the PragerU space, Daily Wire space. Michael Knowles, clearly, clearly, Michael Knowles and Ben Shapiro and uh, Walsh and all these and uh, and which and what's his name? This guy who talks like this. Uh, uh, sh- you know that guy's bald. No, you probably don't watch this stuff enough. You got to be really on the inside. I forget. Anyway. They're all on stage, and it's a big live event. And there's something very incel about it. (laughs) You know, like... All male. The entire thing is male. No, Candace Owens is there, and I got my issues with her. But I don't think she's... I don't think she's... Dr. Candace Owens. Dr. (laughs) Her, you (laughs) true. I'm going to do a full Candace Owens Owens expose, uh, what you feel about Candace Owens. But I'm... um, It's about to say I'm not a fan. Um, I but think Chappelle got got her right. Well, he said, "Yeah, you got that stank." He said something nasty, yeah. but more that I don't think she operates in good faith. I think she's very much trying to play that tribal actor, yeah, I think so too. and she's like, "What am I supposed like?" She's just not open minded, operating in good faith. She's like, "Where can I get my zinger?" She likes it way too much. The hawk of and the celebrity of right wing. Yeah, she has some interesting things to say about race and stuff, and comes from that community, so she lends some credibility and authority there. But otherwise, she's. A provocateur, and I don't think she. I think they'll rue the day. Word, provocateur. I think she, they'll rue the day they brought her onto the Daily Wire. I think it was like a move. Oh, is I, she on there? I yeah, she's now part that. of it, and she oh. has her own show that's that's produced by the Daily Wire. Oh. And I I think that it'll be one of those moves that like Ben Shapiro, who I think has some There's, integrity. He left he has values. He has values and integrity. He left his yeah. platform to start his own platform when he was at uh, Breitbart. It's gonna be like they're gonna they're gonna butt heads at some point because she's just not she doesn't operate in good faith. But my point is they did this live event and it's just a funny thing yeah but the way they're like cheering it on like it's a rock concert but it's traditional american values <laughs> and there's just something about like creativity and and arts on the right doesn't gel well it need you need a little bit of let like not not hollywood left-wing messaging but like liberal creativity jordan peterson talks about that too it's like you need both you know you know the you know cre- liberals have a temperament of more conser- more creative and conservatives know how to get things done you know you need both you know he talks about yeah. that melding and when you have too much of one it just gets cause it looks very incel <laughs> like you guys like what is this it's like one big no chess sense club of, no <laughs> sense of humor yeah or or it's it's like cringy humor yeah. a little bit it's it, the only sense of humor is leftist tears <laughs> yeah. no taste what? No taste. Leftist tears, everybody. Like, yeah. I, I think the last time I was here, I uh, I was attending a, a pro-choice rally, and everybody there was super liberal. <laughs> <laughs> like, they laugh about leftists. Yeah. You know who's fun is Adam Carolla, but he's like a libertarian. He's not. Yeah. Really so he there are right? a few. There are a few. He's really funny. like Stephen Crowder is an example of someone they deem as like a comedian, but he's yeah. really just more like a a John Stewart on the right, where it's very just like preachy, yeah. and the only jokes they can make that they're capable of making are about like Democrats. It's like right. not funny, but Corolla is a good example of one. And Tim Dillon, but he's not, he's super liberal. Tim Dillon he, uh, in, 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 not, the, in the true sense of like, do what you want. I right, don't care. Right. He's not, he's not ideological, he's not, like, he's not ideological, life, but neither right. is Corolla. Corolla's a regular dude, and so is Tim in that sense. He's a little ideological. Corolla's like... I mean, he has his beliefs. You know, I haven't really nailed a Corolla. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, these children, they need gravity. They need to learn. I don't have it. You see it's not there, but it's kind of there? What do you think? It's a little less squeaky. Is it? Man. <laughs> <laughs> 
I listened to him religiously I do for uh, in like 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. all the time. I listened to him. But he's a bit rogue. He comes from like show business. I don't see. He's not like. He he represents a certain sensible style of politics, yeah. like a common sense style of politics, not a we need to get, you know, DeSantis elected. He's not like out there, mm-hmm. like talking from that point. If DeSantis makes some good, has some good ideas, maybe I'll vote for him. Maybe we'll see. Anyway, he represents to me a uh, more commonsensical style of. I wouldn't describe him as overtly political. Political, even though some people would deem him as uh, as hard as as on the right. I haven't listened in so long. I'm not yeah. sure where he's at right now. Anyway, um, that was uh, that was a funny thing to see this live <coughs> event cheering these rock stars. But there's something wrong, and I can't figure out what it is. Would you ever go to one? Yeah. Oh, I would. I, I think I would go and like hopefully become a keynote featured entertainment and do some bits because right. I do all these people, and I could I could do a, right. a Jordan Peterson would slay in that arena. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see. Uh, yeah. But I anyway. feel like they would like it, but they would like the wrong parts. They'd be like, "Oh man, that I love that idea you said." And you're like, oh, "That wasn't the that wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't it. You did not get it, <laughs> right? Because because <laughs> right because of low taxes, right? You, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the bit at all. You're right. They would totally not get it. Right? Yeah, it has a bit of like a uh, you know when you're at college and there's the group that's like super stiff, and now they're getting their their moment in the sun to have their fun, but it's it's yeah. just a weird vibe. No. Um, anyway, any other final yeah. thoughts before we wrap up for today? No, it was good. It's good to get uh, some of those things out. The, oh. um, yeah, yeah, and I would I would like to uh, to to really nail like w- the perspective that you and I are coming from. Mm. I think I think something I'd really like to start talking about more is why so few people from our very particular background go into creative careers. I think you have some really interesting thoughts on that. And I think next time I'd like to dive into that. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's having the option to do it is a, is a big reason too. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that too, of just yeah. coming from, um, you know, our upper middle class Jewish community that mm-hmm. affords it kind of like the generations go, I think it like up and down in terms of how yeah. people pursue things. Our parents come from a generation of like Holocaust survivor parents and had a different mindset mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I definitely want to talk more about also just the culture of what does the culture that we're from encourage creativity, discourage it, and to what extent. And you're saying it does produce a lot of people who go into creativity or not? It doesn't. And and you had an interesting theory about it. And I think think there probably are a lot of people out there who are very creative but find themselves in jobs they don't like and maybe don't even quite understand how they got there. Mm -hmm. Um, and we sort of zigged when a lot of people, a lot of our friends zagged, yeah. we sort of zigged and, um, it might, it might be an interesting conversation to start. Yeah. I think it's about the risk and stability and values of wanting to have a family early, not having kids mm-hmm. later, having kids earlier and the costs of living the kind of, you know, modern yeah. Orthodox Jewish life that, yeah. and, that, and what that requires. I get it. It's yep. not like I fault any, like yeah. it makes more sense. Brian Koppelman talks about, cause he also, he's from this like well-to-do family from Long Island mm-hmm. and like he went to very good colleges and also there's this sort of, he, he talks a lot about how, how he, his journey of becoming an artist, but he talks less about what role sort of economics played into it and expectations, mm-hmm. economic expectations of his friends and family played into it. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could talk so about that. So on the next that. one, we could talk, and also the pressures of success. But mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what, you know, the pressure is success. And I'm, and then from success 
you get like filtered down into specific career choices that mm-hmm. more guarantee easily success, success right. financial success, stability, all those right. kinds of things. That's, and I think Status. that's why, you know, I mean, if certain careers generated the kind of, you know, income that other careers generated, people would do that. It, it would, it would right. point to those directions, but right. we could definitely dig in on that for cool. episode uh, four. And of- I do want to um, tell people to go check out our OnlyFans account. Same exact podcast, word for word, but we do it shirtless. It takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great. You have to pay and you have to be a subscriber. Um, yeah. Ten bucks a month, same thing, shirtless. Right, right. So right. check that out. Oh man, we are we're on TikTok, we're on TikTok. Instagram, YouTube, um, Shorts. Yes, YouTube. We have a contest going on on OnlyFans now. You have to find the mystery third nipple on Michael's <laughs> back. <laughs> very, very interesting <laughs> stuff. It's there, and if you can find it, you win a thousand dollars cash prize. <laughs> um, any sponsors this week, Michael, to wrap up for today's episode? Um, I don't have any off the, off the top of my head that I <laughs> remember making a deal with. Um, let's see what we can do. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, why I'm opening this book, I don't know. Um, here we go. Uh, word from our sponsors this week. Okay. Ah! <laughs> That's where we keep them. Frank's Fungal Cream. Oh. A lot of creams, like our, a lot of, yeah, uh, a lot of creams. Where, it's our demo. Do your feet look like your grandfather's? Are your toenails just way too long that they've acquired a lot of fungal, what does that word say? Fungal buildup? I couldn't read the word buildup. <laughs> <laughs> Under your toenails. Try Frank's, Frank's, this is falling apart. <laughs> Frank's fungal cream. Getting rid of your fungus. Ah. <sighs> Okay. They they paid, so you you, you finish that ad, or uh, or we're not gonna get that money. This is a throwback reference. Trust the fungus. <laughs> Trust the fungus. That That's should be their slogan. There. What movie? Trust the fungus. I don't know. I want to say Luigi. Trust the fungus. What is that? I don't know. The original Super Mario Brothers with Dennis Hopper. Trust the fungus. <laughs> Use the fungus. Trust the fungus. Use the fungus. You know when you're a kid and you miss a movie. You missed. I set? missed. I missed Super Mario Brothers. Open it up. Get on the floor. Everybody wants a dinosaur. <laughs> it was a great one. It was one of those just yeah. from childhood because we played the video game. Super Mario Brothers, trust the fungus. Frank's Fungal Cream. That's our sponsor. All right. Jesus. Thank you, Frank's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Maybe next week we'll have another, uh, another sponsor. Maybe we uh, um, good talking to you, Mike. Yeah. That wraps up episode three of Buckle Up. Buckle Up, baby. I want to get an actual seatbelt buckle and... Click it at the end. We'll just go we'll like this. Do one. We'll at least do one side. <laughs> Buckle up. All right. Oh, that's a little bit uh, questionable. Yeah. Last point, actually. I want to talk about our logo because I really find it interesting. Michael designed this logo, the Buckle Up podcast, with Michael and Ami, with Mike and Ami here. And this is an interesting picture. Mm-hmm. You want to describe how you came about doing this? This this was an option on the logo generation really site that I used of two sort of phallic yeah microphones right off the bat it looks like two dicks right but yeah we're entangled they're, here they're connected they're connected through the vans de farans <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing yeah that's what we have going on here that's how it feels here okay buckle yeah. up family that's what's going on under the table yeah. all right everybody all right. buckle for up it out. episode three thanks for listening stay thanks tuned for next watching. week